I think isolation is poverty, given that true well-being or true wealth is to be seen and loved and known and, and heard. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. And we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Our guest today is Daniel Whitehead, the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries, a Christian nonprofit that equips the church to support mental health and well-being. Daniel spent 10 years in full-time vocational ministry in the south coast of England, is a certified mediator, and holds two graduate degrees from Regent College in Vancouver, B.C. He hails from the U.K., as you'll soon hear. He is married to Annie and has two young children. So, welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Yes, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, Daniel, you and I have actually had a fairly lengthy uh, connection over time here with Sanctuary's participation in the EndingPovertyTogether.org educational site and your willingness to speak at the Flourishing Conference. So, um, appreciate you doing this now, too. Oh, not at all. No, it's it's uh, great to finally hear your voice. We've emailed copious yes. amounts, but... But you are a real person, and so am I. It's great in to, fact, in great fact. to enjoy the real person. It is. That is great. Daniel, we often start these conversations with a question that is really just a finish the sentence, if you would, please. As you know, the title of our podcast is Ending Poverty Together. How would you finish the sentence, poverty is? I would say uh, poverty is uh, isolation. And I think in some ways that affirms the title of your podcast. To end poverty takes togetherness, takes relationship. I've just just finished my second master's in theology and and my major focus was looking at majority world cultures and what they have to teach us about how we can better create an environment to support mental health and well-being. And um, to to give it away, I think there's a lot we can learn from majority world cultures about relationality and our understanding of self in light of other. So, yeah, I think isolation is is poverty, given that the uh, true well-being or true wealth is is to be seen and loved and known and and heard. Mm. So, yeah, I think I think isolation. Mm. Hmm. Well, I'm already I'm already on board, Daniel. Uh, this is awesome to hear you share that part of my my story in coming to this podcast is. I'm actually just finishing up my master's in clinical counseling. And so just the language that you're sharing already and your your perspective on, I mean, exactly what you said is just is so encouraging already. I'm curious to know, kind of based from that working definition of poverty, I'm sure that that kind of touches on your work with sanctuary mental health and kind of what the the ethos of your organization is. And I'm wondering, could you tell us more about sanctuary and what drew you to it in the first place? Yeah, so I mean, Sanctuary is a, a nine-year-old nonprofit that was founded in Vancouver, Canada, and it was really founded out of some research, some local research. It wasn't published that demonstrated that many churches felt ill-equipped to know how to support people in their mental health, and there seemed to be this implicit barrier that prevented many churches from accessing the services that were available um, uh, with. Uh, secular organizations for for want of a better term you think of the canadian mental health association or mental health commission of canada many churches for whatever reason didn't feel able to access 
and, and even things like therapists and psychology. And so Sanctuary was born as an organization to really help the church um, have a more integrated view of the subject, to really look at the best of psychology and theology and to keep the person's lived experience sort of centrally. And we think from looking at this subject in an interdisciplinary way, um, and this all sounds very complex, the way we do it is much more simple for churches to engage with, but but we do a lot of the hard work in terms of the, the thought process and, and bringing these different lenses together to find a new way to talk about it. And uh, over the last three years, we've really focused on being the organisation that helps churches around the world to, because we've had downloads in over 50 countries in the last year, mm. wow. um, to really have that initial conversation, like where do we even begin? Because mm. I think you have to have your foundations right when you talk about this subject. If you come at it from a, an overly biomedical perspective, uh, you reduce people to medical problems to be fixed by doctors in isolation. And of course, that's an overly simplistic way of talking about mental health. This is a profoundly complex and interdisciplinary experience and every person's experience is unique so yeah we we've really focused on helping churches open up the conversation create a shared language shared framework and then helping churches to continue their journey of becoming a a mentally a mental health informed church and and as i said i we're quite unique there aren't many organizations that do what we do um Mm -hmm. i don't think anyone's quite doing what we do in the world and we have a pretty decent grasp on what's going on around the world Mm-hmm. And um, even recently, we were really thrilled to have the Archbishop of Canterbury tweet uh, three weeks in a row about our resources. So, um, oh, wow. wow, we're getting yeah, we're getting some coverage in in some new places. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. That is very exciting. Very cool. You mentioned Daniel making it quite accessible for churches, and and I think you even said it quite simple or simplifying. Can you just share a little bit more specifically what that might look like? Yeah, yeah. So the main resource that we've created is like an eight-session course. I often talk of it as being like a, a mental health alpha course um, mm. that really walks people, uh, walks a small group or a, a church through building a framework and a language around mental health and theology. And it's we have films as discussion guide. And all of our resources, we've also, um, I mean, when COVID hit, we developed another four-session resource, which we filmed over Zoom uh, on faith, grief, and COVID-19, just to help Mm. facilitate conversations around grief and how do we process that well. Mm. So, um, but the the Sanctuary course is the main product. We've just launched a Catholic-specific version, which, again, has had a lot of downloads very quickly, and, and that's very exciting for us. We're working on researching a youth resource at the moment and we're working on a new improved version of the sanctuary course to be launched next year because we made the first version three years ago and apparently every three years you have to rework <laughs> your material so um things change yeah. hey <laughs> yeah but it's it's freely available it's on our website sanctuarymentalhealth.org you can download it and use it it's, it's free for churches that's amazing to know that that resource is out there daniel one of the words that comes to mind immediately when we talk about mental health would be stigma. And, you know, in our Canadian context, we have some great initiatives that have been kind of launched on a national level to kind of raise awareness, raise conversations about mental health. 
and mental mm. health issues. And I'm wondering from your perspective within Sanctuary, how do you see through the, the Sanctuary course or through other resources that you've created, how do you find uh, your organization kind of fighting against the stigma that comes with talking about mental health issues? Yeah, well, we actually dedicated one whole session of the course to stigma because it is such a major issue. And, and the interesting thing for the from a faith perspective is that the church kind of has some unique stigma um, which is is different, slightly different mm. from the stigma we'd experience generally. You know, it's uh, to give you sort of crass examples, but there will be people who are prone to overly or reductionistically approaching the subject and just oversimplifying it, saying, mm. "Well, the issue is faithfulness. The issue is more prayer. Mm. The issue is right. a better understanding of scripture," uh, which really locates our faith entirely in our brains, which sadly and ironically is the organ that is obviously affected in, 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 in when we talk about mental health or mental illness. Now, I, I need to check myself there because it isn't just that the brain is the organ we're referring to, but actually our whole bodies carry trauma, our whole mm-hmm. bodies and, and, and our lives carry trauma and how we interact. But, but it does really, it's a very Western experience. So I, I, I could tell you about a lady I met who is, um, she's from Jamaica Um, but living in New York and her mother, elderly mother from Jamaica was living with her in New York and she experienced voice hearing, which funnily enough is more common than you'd imagine. I can't remember the numbers, but it's way more people than you'd expect to have actually heard an audible voice in their life without a person being there. But this lady was experiencing voice hearing. She wasn't distressed by it, but they nevertheless went to the doctor, the doctor prescribed her medication and the doctor was doing what, what a doctor would do. That's not a critique of the doctor. But the medication had a really negative effect on this lady's quality of life. She, she didn't really go out much. She stayed in. Uh, she didn't have much energy. And through certain circumstances, she had to move back to Jamaica. The decision was made that she'd move back there. She moved back to live with other family members. Now, the healthcare system in Jamaica is different. She didn't get medication there. So she started hearing the voices again. But... Actually, her family realised this isn't distressing her. And in the in the community that in which she lived in Jamaica, she was just loved as she was. It was just, mm. well, that's, that's who she is. She hears voices. And that's just a, a unique experience for her. So mm. I think um, there's, a, there's an interesting, when we talk about stigma, when I say voice hearing, many of us would immediately worry or panic or uh, we could think about the Gerasene demoniac, or, which is about the only verse we would think of in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm which is interesting how that often gets conflated and, yeah. and yet I don't really know why. Um, there's, a, there's a great chapter on that in a, a book called The Bible and Mental Health by one of our advisors, a guy called Dr. Chris Cook. It's a very good chapter on voice hearing. But there's an example there that we can, as Christians, we can attribute a kind of spiritual stigma to things without really entering into the complexity. And there is a lot of complexity around, around mental health. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned in there, Daniel, and I I can't remember exactly what it was connected to, but you mentioned COVID and you, oh, I think you said something about creating another course specific to COVID. Can we just talk about that for a little bit here? And I'd love to just hear how Sanctuary is responding and has responded to the isolation that has come from the whole pandemic experience. Yeah, so um, obviously when COVID first hit, we as a team got together and, and said, you know, what can we do in our small way? And um, the first thing we did was we removed any barrier to people accessing our resources. We made them all free immediately. 
And mm. then thousands of downloads happened in, in a few mm. weeks. So we thought, oh, this is interesting. Let's just remove all barriers and keep them free. So um, we then created this four-part resource on grief. We, we felt that grief was something that people were going to be experiencing. And we made the decision to try and create a resource in a month. I'm very proud of that, that resource, that little four-part course. Um, we've had some very, very good feedback on it. But, and, and the Archbishop tweeted about that one in particular. So mm-hmm. I think um, really that the hope with that, we, we sensed grief was going to be an issue that people had to process. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, we started seeing all these articles pop up on social media around grief and those things you're experiencing, that thing you're experiencing right now is grief and naming mm. it. So we wanted to help the church create a safe space, a sanctuary for churches to begin to process grief and talk about it. Because again, I don't know about you, but you know, I grew up in England. I have traveled quite a bit and, and visited different places in the world. And I've lived in South Africa and obviously lived in Canada. But my experience of the church is we, we don't really talk about grief too well. I haven't had too many mm. people theologize grief. Yeah. So we have to quickly do some work to do that when when the whole world or the yeah you know, is experiencing grief. So that was one thing we did. We then created another resource on burnout because we sense that's what's next is going to happen. People are going to start getting tired of this. Uh, and then at Christmas we launched another resource specific to Christmas around finding hope and gratitude in the midst of darkness. So we tried to be responsive throughout with resources that could meet a real need at that time. And similarly with the the race riots, we as a team again sat down and said, okay, how can we respond and help the church to respond to this? And actually one interesting project that's coming up in May is we have an arts project, which we've commissioned an exhibition. We've commissioned artists from all around the world. Uh, It's both visual arts, both like pieces you'd hang on your wall and also um, some film. And yeah, we've got artists from Pakistan to Guatemala, from Australia to America, Mm. indigenous artists just telling their stories of faith, race and mental health. So Mm. that was a project inspired by the race riots and and really trying to be responsive to what our culture is going through and trying to give the church some language to know how to process this as people of faith and not just ignore it and not just be triumphant, but to really do the the hard work of processing it and listening to those emotions. Yeah, the the word that keeps coming to mind as you're talking about this is it sounds like your team is so focused on the intersection of all of these topics. And and I think that that is so important to link those together. Just quickly to our listeners, you know, already in this conversation, we've touched on some great points already. Daniel's been sharing some, some really great stuff. If you have any questions that you'd like to continue the conversation with, feel free to reach out by email at podcast at fhcanada.org and we can continue that conversation together. Daniel, coming back to the pandemic, you know, just to speak to uh, one of the resources that I've found really helpful that Sanctuary created would be your own podcast that you've been hosting had the opportunity to watch actually some of the Zoom recorded interviews that you've done. And one thing that I've appreciated so much that kind of touches on what you said about the isolation of this time was you start out each of the interviews with pastors, leaders, frontline workers by just asking them, how are you doing? And I've found mm. that that is such a, such a powerful thing to start with instead of just jumping right into, okay, here's tips or here's advice or whatever, you connect it on that human level. And I just, I wanted to name that, that I think that that's such a, such a powerful way to start that resource. Mm. Oh, well, thank you. You know, that was a, that was a a baptism of fire for me because again, that was a, what can we do? Like, let's do a podcast. I recorded 
you know, just jumped into it. I've never done it before. And I, I don't even know if I did a good job. I'm not looking for praise. But to ask the question, how are you doing? is um, as well as valuing the image of God in the other person and valuing their story, which is essential in the mental health conversation, it's also giving permission to other people. It's Hopefully it's saying to other people, you're not alone. And these mm-hmm. things you're feeling right now are shared, and they're shared by certainly by frontline workers, but they're shared by your pastors and leaders and yeah. theologians and maybe some of the people you look up to. We kind of, uh, you can relate. And uh, I think that's so important. That, that, that subtle lie we can believe that we're alone, we're the only ones experiencing this, is a very hard place to be and hard place to get out of. Yeah. So I think that's uh, we're intentional about trying to give voice to people's real lived experience. It's so appreciated. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of your original definition of poverty, that it's isolation, and how when we hear a shared experience from someone else, it tends to... Uh, remove some of that isolation because it normalizes Mm. my own experience. And what I'm hearing from all the different things that you're talking about that Sanctuary offers is just the relevance that you have to today. And Mm. I love how you are anticipating what is needed as well, not just responding and and reacting to the current, but you're looking forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I wish we weren't relevant. Obviously, I wish <laughs> I wish what we were doing was irrelevant. But in this season, sadly, not that we have anything to compare the pandemic to, but um, sadly, I, I think I heard. Um, I think it might have been Tim Keller talking about the experience of New York post nine eleven back in two thousand one with that traumatic event, and just saying that the trauma unfurled over. It was kind of years three to five that it really hit a peak so you know we go through that initial we get through it this is how god has fearfully and wonderfully made us we can get through traumatic events we can survive but then it catches up and then there has to be that slowing down and that processing and so yeah i think we feel with no sense of arrogance but we just feel called at this moment to be ready to help churches as much as we can so that they're ready to have these conversations in the years ahead Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel, one, one question that pops into my head as I hear you say that is the, the term trauma is a bit of a buzzword in our mm. current day-to-day reality. And for better and for worse, it can become a bit routinized. It kind of is just a word that gets thrown around, but it represents something really powerful. And I just want to come back to what you just said about the traumatic nature of the pandemic. And I'm, mm. I'm wondering, could you expand on you know, when you use that word trauma or traumatic and you, you know, you bring an example like September 11th, for some people, maybe the, the connection between these events isn't so clear. So I'm wondering from your perspective, mm. could you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when I speak of trauma, I, I speak of um, heightened external stresses. I, I think of situations and circumstances forcing us into a place that we weren't ready for or prepared for. Mm. And... Um, I think it's important with the pandemic. One thing we do, we first of all have to acknowledge that this has been a profoundly traumatic event for everyone. We've, we haven't been able to, and my, my children haven't seen their grandparents for over a year. They haven't been able to yeah. hold them and um, they, they can have us, which is wonderful. And, and as part of us, oh, it's been lovely to have them all to ourselves for a year. 
but actually this will have an effect on them and it is having an effect on them. So I think we all have to be real about that and just accept that not being able to go to work, not being able to have social interactions, not being able to do the things that we would normally do, whether that be going to the gym, going to restaurants, uh, all these small things. But I think they build up. I think for me, my experience of COVID has almost been like death by a thousand cuts. It's like all of these small losses build up and then you realise, as I have done in the last few months, I just felt really depleted and, mm. and it's, you know, just a numbness, just, a, you know, and, and, and I think depression, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not experiencing clinical depression. I, I know mm. people who do, and I don't experience that, but, but depression is, is anti feeling. It's, it's that mm. feeling of emptiness. And so I, I have to acknowledge my own mental health journey at this time has been profoundly affected yeah. due to this traumatic event that the world just, overnight change and, and i remember a year ago my wife came in we obviously live in vancouver in bc and the the news came in that they were shutting the schools and they said that the schools are closing and my wife just broke down and and it it wasn't that she was sad that our children wouldn't go to school it was this sense of the world has changed mm-hmm. something very serious has happened things like this don't just happen and um i don't know about you but for me that there's still waves of that every now and again. Yeah. I think, oh, I, I used to just get on a plane and visit people and places, and mm-hmm. I used to just sit in people's living rooms and have conversations mm-hmm. with them, and when will that happen again? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think trauma is a, a, very, real, a very real thing, and, and the world is, is experiencing some of that right now. I had one of those very moments just the other day when I phoned my dad to wish him, he, he lives on the prairies, and I phoned to wish him a happy 81st birthday, and I realized I was doing the same thing a year ago, wishing him a happy 80th birthday, and I haven't seen him since. And there was just this mm. wave of emotion mm. attached to that, and so I really appreciate you sharing a little bit more about just the reality of the mental health impact that this has and and I think even making trauma a little bit more accessible for people. Yeah. Mm. I think a lot of times people think of trauma as I had a horrific car accident or yeah. something like that and not recognizing the trauma that has come through this this whole last year for mm. everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something we all need to grapple with. The the challenge, as you said, is that very often these things can become cliches and it erodes somehow, erodes the meaning. Certainly there are, there's variations of trauma, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, just this last week, a, a staff member was sharing with us because she lives a block away from where there was a, a sporadic random stabbing mm. and, and someone died. Six people were in, wounded mm. people. In, I mean, just this traumatic event. And mm. she was just broken by it. And of course, as a mental health organization, we want to give permission to people to, to feel that. But um, yeah, so there's, there's variations of trauma. There's mm-hmm. kind of big, big T trauma, but, but let's make no mistake. This is a traumatic time and it's traumatic for all of us. We're not able to live the way we've lived before and live the way we're meant to live. We're meant mm-hmm. to, we're meant to touch people. We're meant to hug. We're meant to yeah. be seen. We're meant to be close in close proximity. That's what, you know, the Bible talks about laying on of hands. It talks about the communion. Mm-hmm. It's all of these are things that are really important to us and they've been taken away. And I, I hope, I hope one of the, 
redemptive factors of COVID is that when we are allowed to meet together, that we realise just how important each other each other is. Mm-hmm. Like this, relationships are so important, and that mm-hmm. you know the, the Western modern idea of independence as the ultimate goal of humanity is a lie. It's mm-hmm. just that is not the highest goal. Interdependence is the highest goal. That's what the Bible calls us to. So once again, it comes back to this theme of not being alone, relationally connected. So I hope we're learning that. I really hope we're learning that. Absolutely. Yeah. You, I mean, I just continue to be so, so appreciative of this conversation because you just keep hitting it out of the park every time you answer, <laughs> Daniel. Um, I want to come back to and kind of dovetail two topics that we talked about already, which would be on the one hand, the church, and then on the other hand, the togetherness that can mm. combat the poverty of isolation um, and mental health issues that you've talked about. And I'm wondering, I have a two-part question for you. First of all, what is one thing or what are the main things that churches have misunderstood about mental health? And then in light of churches being a possible safe place for talking about mental health issues, what can churches do to change that? Mm. So I think um, at the risk of using unnecessarily long words, which is unlike me, um, I, th- I think one of the one of the critical critical challenges the church faces is um, ensuring that our anthropology is right. The way we view persons mm. is correct. So I would talk about theological anthropology, which, to put it simply, is how how do we understand persons, people, in light of who God is, in light of Scripture? And I see subtly in our culture the way our culture doesn't have that same framework, and so. We are essentially, it feels often in Western culture that we are often reduced to what we can produce. Uh, We're reduced to very small labels, like we're defined in all kinds of ways. We're defined sexually, we're defined by how much money we have, by what jobs we do. And I don't think that's good anthropology. I think that's actually quite dangerous. So I think good anthropology is to say that we're we're relationally made in the image of a relationship. We're made for relationships out of the fruit of a relationship. We are defined relationally. And mm. and true wellness and well-being is defined by the depth and quality of our relationships. And mental health has a, is a key part of that because the whole of our lives are viewed through the lens of our, our minds. So I think anthropology is key. What do we understand a person is? And, it, and it's very subtle the way these things creep in. And I, I hear people who want to talk about mental health, but you you can't make the assumption that people have a a theologically-based anthropology, a a godly way of viewing a person, because our culture would tell us that, well, ultimately, we're we're biomedical beings. My my daughter has a friend at school who always says to her, well, we're just animals, aren't we? Mm. And I'm like, I said to my daughter, does your friend eat meat? Like, (laughs) would she eat a person? Like, we're... There's something different about us, right? You're not, we're not, we're not, I mean, biomedically, I can see you saying that. Well, we're just like these flesh and blood beings. Okay, but but we're not just biomedical. So I think the church has to lean into what we already know to be true, what is rooted mm-hmm. in scripture, by being this prophetic voice that says to the world, people are not just biomedical problems to be fixed. And and mental health is a is a complex is a complex subject. But it gets a whole lot, for me, it gets a whole lot more complex if we buy into this idea that really a person with a diagnosed mental illness, well, that's all they are. This is someone who 
is bipolar as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who lives with a condition called bipolar. This is, yeah. this is a person who's a label. So, this is what so they're like. They're up and down. They need medication. And then they can enter into the community and be like the rest of us. No one would say that, or very few people would say that. But in truth, many of us actually buy into that because mm-hmm. we believe this lie that we just buy medical beings. And, and, our, and in that sense, our anthropology is not right. I would challenge that. So I think that's a key, a key thing for me yeah. that we have to grapple with. I uh, just want to come back, if you don't mind, Daniel, because you mentioned the sanctuary course as being such a critical resource for the church. And since we're talking about the church and what the church can do, can you just tell us a little bit more about what's in that course and how churches can access it? And what would it actually look like for my church to offer that course in our congregation? Yeah, great. I'm glad you asked. Shalane, it's not like I've set you up with these questions, everyone. <laughs> these are spontaneous questions. That's um, right. He didn't no, give me great. a list. <laughs> yeah, so um, there, there are eight sessions. It looks at subjects like mental health, mental illness, what's the difference between those two and, and how they intersect, um, stigma, compassion, recovery, the role of community. It looks at all of these very important subjects. And if you're able to facilitate a, a church small group, if you have basic facilitation skills, the course is laid out in such a way that you can use the course. You don't need any special training. It's as a resource, it's very trauma informed. So when the films, there are, there are eight short films, when there are subjects that, that they've been curated very um, sensitively. So there's no, uh, you know, if there's anything that's going to potentially trigger people, we, we let them know beforehand. Like mm. Someone is talking about suicide. Obviously, we never talk about the details of people's experience, but we let people know. So the course is is really well laid out for anyone who can lead a small group to pick it up and use it. And there's all kind of marketing tools on the website. So you would go to sanctuarymentalhealth.org. You would subscribe. You'd set up an account, which is all free. And then you'd subscribe to the various tools we have. And then you could start promoting it in your churches. There are, as I say, there are resources to help you promote it and start running it. And, uh, you know, there are... There are churches we know that have literally run the course ten times in mm. in you know in a year and a half because they just back to back more people going through it. So um, and and the other interesting thing is the people who go through it. Very common thing is they come out the other end. They don't want to stop meeting and they mm. want to keep talking because it opens up this safe space. Finally, oh, I can talk mm. about this. And there are other people who feel this way. Mm-hmm. So that's been an amazing byproduct of. What is an educational resource is it's actually built depth and community and trust for people, which is which is wonderful. Mm, love that. So, Daniel, from your, I guess, both speaking from your role with Sanctuary, but then also personally, what would be some books or resources that you have personally found useful or helpful in kind of building your perspective, but then also like obviously the sanctuary course is a great resource that we highly recommend churches use, but what Mm. else can people read or watch or listen to that uh, you'd recommend? Yeah, great. So I'd say anything by John Swinton. Um, John Mm. Swinton is one of our ambassadors. Uh, We have three ambassadors. So uh, Reverend Professor John Swinton, who's the chair of divinity at University of Aberdeen, world-renowned practical theologian, kind of the father of disability theology, but he is the world expert on mental health and theology. Uh, he is a psychiatric nurse, ordained Church of Scotland minister, and a prolific academic. Um, his recent book, Finding Jesus in the Storm, is is superb. 
And that's a qualitative study he did over a number of years, really listening to people's experience, people living with depression, bipolar disorder, and certain psychotic experiences, listening to their experiences and understanding how they relate to Christ in the midst mm. of their experiences. Um, okay. So he, he wrote another book called Resurrecting the Person many years ago. He wrote a book a few years ago that won a big award called Dementia, Living in the Memories of God, which is astounding, just in framing the subject of dementia. And um, the exciting thing for us is John actually approached us and we're going to be creating a resource with him on dementia um, mm. specifically. Mm. So that will be happening in the next 18 months or so. So anything by John is excellent. There is a good book. It's slightly academic, but there is a good book here called The Bible and Mental Health, which is actually edited by one of our other ambassadors, who is uh, the Reverend Dr. Isabel Hamley, who is the theological advisor to the House of Bishops in the UK and the head of ecumenical relations for the Church of England. Uh, she has lived experience of um, childhood trauma, and she's a biblical scholar who did all her PhD work in the last couple of chapters of Judges, like the the worst, most traumatic, hardest parts of the Bible. Yeah. Wow. So she um, has curated a series of essays with people like Walter Brueggemann, John Swinton and others called The Bible and Mental Health. That's very good. And then if you want something more accessible, Amy Simpson wrote an excellent book and the name eludes me right now, but it's a very good book, very accessible and very much from the perspective of lived experience. I'd mm. recommend that one too. I will make sure that all of those resources are listed on our site with the podcast. So we'll make sure we track down that name of Amy Simpson's book and have that on there as well. Yeah, great. Well, to our listeners, you know, we ask, what are you leaving with from this episode today? You know, it's been such a, a fruitful and important conversation uh, with Daniel. And we just would, would love to know, you know, what is resonating with you today? Um, and, you know, is there anything that's kind of popped into your mind as to what you can start doing or stop doing as soon as tomorrow in light of this conversation. So Daniel, I feel like it's appropriate to ask you, how are you doing <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. actually check in with you? As I know that that's uh, something that you so often do with, with your guests. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. It's um, <laughs> this part of me, it's the, the inner part of me that grew up in Britain in a British working class environment that wants to just take a deep sigh and go, Oh, here we go. Um, but <laughs> but I'm profoundly yeah. committed to that question being asked and being answered honestly. So thank you for asking it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, like I said before, I think I've been feeling quite numb and tired, just tired, yeah. tired of what's happening. It's not because I'm not sleeping enough or I'm not exercising enough or I'm not doing the things that restore me. On paper, everything looks fine, but I'm just a bit tired of this mm. and... Uh, I take comfort from knowing that many people feel the same way. So I think I find, and some of it, you know, friendship is so important. There is a, there is a, a good friend of mine that we would walk regularly together and, and he hasn't been able to do that for the last couple of months for various reasons. But um, just within a few weeks of him not being able to do that, there was just this, oh, I kind of miss my friend. And that's, mm. uh, so I think... Um, yeah, but I, there are lots of practices I do. And even when I don't feel like doing them, I do them. And like walking outside for like an hour every day is something, I, I, I mean, I just do it. I have to, because it's good for me. So I think, uh, and I also have a list of things that are within my power to do, mm. um, which is a really helpful thing to have. My, uh, I uh, see a coach who helps me with this and we very quickly identified, here are a number of things that cater to me physically, mentally, socially, spiritually, 
that I can do. And so some of them are like watching a movie in the evenings or hmm. going for a walk every day or exercising or, you know, talking to friends on, on using technology. So I'm doing those things, but I feel a bit tired. That's mm-hmm. the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate your vulnerability with that. And you are definitely not the only one. <laughs> I can <laughs> absolutely relate yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. So thank you. And thank you in that answer, Daniel, for actually answering the next question that I had, probably the final question, and that was, what are some practices that you would recommend for Mm. walking through this time in particular? And you've articulated some of those. Did you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, I think the the question we all have to grapple with is what restores my soul? Mm. And um, if, if you've been brought up implicitly in a kind of, let's say, a middle of the road church, whatever that means, um, you you may be prone to giving very pious answers to that question. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, quiet time with Jesus. That that might well be one. I don't mean to diminish that. Um, But it may be getting into your body and getting your heart rate up. Mm -hmm. It may be watching soccer, which, I mean, I'm a a big Mm -hmm. soccer fan. I'm Mm -hmm. a Tottenham Hotspur fan. And that gets my heart rate going when I watch them play, (laughs) Uh normally for the wrong reasons lately. But... um, (laughs) You know, these, these things, I mean, for, that's a good example. When the soccer stopped, the EPL stopped because of COVID, yeah. like, they were, it, it, as weird as it sounds, I don't like admitting it, there was kind of, it, I'm not going to say trauma, but it was like, I missed it. I really, yeah. really missed it. Mm-hmm. And when they brought it back on after a few months, I was so excited. I was watching, like, German football, German soccer. <laughs> like, I, I've, I've there, never yeah. watched the Bundesliga, <laughs> but suddenly you're like, right, it's someone's playing, let's watch. So, um I think we need to be honest and listen to those things. What restores our soul? What brings us joy? And um, make sure you're doing them mm-hmm. regularly um, as much as you're able. So uh, I could tell you many things. Like playing with my kids is, is another one. Using my hands, like cooking, making things. I even like playing with Lego. Mm-hmm. Like there's something in just making something that brings me joy. So I think, yeah, just be honest with yourself and, and identify some things that you can do. And, and that will be different for everyone. But Mm-hmm. What restores your soul? And once you've answered that question, when was the last time you did it? That's the, the next question. Mm. Thank you. Those are really practical, helpful things. And I, I appreciate that you say that not everybody has to play with Lego. Just thank you for that. <laughs> well, they should, but they don't have to. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I, I, I feel freed in that. <laughs> Daniel, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so um, sanctuarymentalhealth.org is is our website. Um, we're on all the social media channels, and we've got an amazing social media manager. So there's rich content going on social media regularly. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, look us up. I'm also on those channels if you want to look me up. I, I don't know why you would, but you can. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not really into that, but I'm on there and... Uh, yeah, and be in touch. We, we, we're we here to serve the church. So mm-hmm. if there are things that we can help you with, we'd love to hear from you. And Daniel, was there any other questions that you wish that we had asked you? This is your kind of opportunity to to have the floor once more before we say goodbye. No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I didn't get to tell you any of my uh, amazing stories of my exciting life, of uh, how I once fought a baboon barehanded, but that will have to be left <laughs> for another another yeah. episode, another day. But <laughs> no, no, you've, you've asked some great questions and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, you've, you've got 90% of what I have, so I don't have much more. So thank you for drawing that out of me. 
All right. Well, we'll look forward to episode number two for the the other 10% at some point. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Me too. That would be great. Thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. We really appreciate you. And thank you for making all the material at Sanctuary free. I I feel Mm. like that is a huge gift right now to the church. And I'm really, I'm going to look into seeing if I can run one of these at my own church this fall. That's great. Thank you, Shalane. No, it's, um, it's our pleasure to serve the church. It really is a joy. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.